Hello, everybody. Welcome to Crocheting Through Medical History. Um, first, this recording should be more uh, flowing than the last one because I got the recording to work on the app instead of the website that I used to record. So hopefully it will not cut me off quite so often, if at all. We'll see as we get going. I'm gonna still keep an eye on the clock to make sure it's going well. Um, secondly, I don't think I sound too stuffy right now, but I do have a cold. Um, so hopefully I will make it through this and be able to talk and be intelligible. I was also out of town last week, so I did not research. So we're trying something new today. I found an article on history.com called Seven Unusual Ancient Medical Techniques. Um, so I'm going to read through that. And we can learn about ancient medical techniques together. I did not proofread this. I skimmed it when I found it. Um, but I am going into this blind with all y'all. So we... We'll learn together and it will be so fun. Uh, I'm not crocheting as I do this. I did, though, just finish a little, not little, he's very large, a large, not that large, a substantial sized, um, I'm blanking on what it's called, Triceratops, Triceratops dinosaur for my aunt to give to her grandson. He's pretty cute. He's kind of funky looking. His He's got dangly limbs, but he's cute. And I will definitely be posting a picture of him, but I'm not actively crocheting right now. Full disclosure. Okay. Gimli has been very quiet for the last little bit, so hopefully that will continue. Ponyo just settled down on the bed. Hopefully he doesn't fall asleep and start snoring. But, um... Let's get into it and see how it goes. So let's jump into this. The first unusual ancient medical technique is bloodletting. For thousands of years, medical practitioners clung to the belief that sickness was merely the result of a little bad blood. Bloodletting probably began with the ancient Sumerians and Egyptians, but it didn't become common practice until the time of classical Greece and Rome. Influential physicians like Hippocrates and Galen Galen, maintained that the human body was filled with four basic substances or humors, yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. These needed to be kept in balance to maintain proper health. With this in mind, patients with a fever or other ailments were often diagnosed with an overabundance of blood. To restore bodily harmony, their doctor would simply, my goodness, cut cut open a vein and drain some of their vital fluids into into a receptacle. In some cases, leeches were even used to suck the blood directly from the skin. Great start so far. This is enthralling. Um... I also forgot to mention, I have a lot of roommates, 
and they're all home. Um, so I apologize if you hear noises of people talking or walking. Hopefully you can't hear that, but I apologize if you do. Moving on. Continuing with bloodletting, that is, while it could easily result in accidental death from blood loss, phlebotomy endured as a common medical practice well into the 19th century. Medieval doctors prescribed blood draining as a treatment for everything from a sore throat to the plague, and some barbers listed it as a service along with haircuts and shaves. The practice finally fell out of vogue after new research showed that it might be doing more harm than good. But leaching and controlled bloodletting are still used today as treatments for certain rare illnesses. Yikes. That's, uh, that was a lot just right there. <laughs> Moving on to number two, trepanation. I believe. Um, humanity's oldest form of surgery is also one of its most gruesome. As far back as 7,000 years ago, civilizations around the world engaged in trepanation, the practice of boring holes in the skull as a means of curing illnesses. Researchers can only speculate on how or why this grisly form of brain surgery first developed, a common theory holds that it may have been some form of tribal ritual or even a method for releasing evil spirits believed to possess the sick and mentally ill. Still, others argue that it was a more conventional surgery used to treat epilepsy, headaches, abscesses, and blood clots. Trep... Tre... Trepand... Trepand, trepand, skulls found in Peru hint that it was also a common emergency treatment for cleaning out bone fragments left behind by skull fractures, and evidence shows that many of the patients survived the surgery. That is shocking to me. Wow, okay. Moving on to number three, mercury. Mercury is notorious for its toxic properties, but was once used as a common elixir in topical medicine. The ancient Persians and Greeks considered it a useful ointment, and 2nd century Chinese alchemist prize, alchemists prized liquid mercury or quicksilver and red mercury sulfide for their supposed ability to increase lifespan and vitality. Some healers even promised that by consuming noxious brews containing poisonous mercury, sulfur, and arsenic, their patients would gain eternal life and the ability to walk on water. One of the most famous casualties of this diet was the Chinese emperor Qin Shi Huang, who supposedly died after ingesting mercury pills designed to make him immortal. From the Renaissance until the early 20th century, mercury was also used as a popular medicine for sexually transmitted diseases like syphilis. While some accounts claimed the heavy metal treatment was successful in fighting off the infection, patients often died from liver and kidney damage caused by the mercury poisoning. Number four is animal dung ointments. 
the ancient Egyptians had a remarkably well-organized medical system complete with doctors who specialized in healing specific ailments. Nevertheless, the cures they prescribed weren't always up to snuff. Lizard blood, dead mice, mud, and moldy bread were all used as topical ointments and dressings, and women were sometimes dosed with horse saliva as a cure for an impaired libido. Most disgusting of all, Egyptian physicians used human and animal excrement as a cure-all remedy for diseases and injuries. Naturally, why not? You know, it's not leaving your body for any reason, for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. According to the 1500 BC's Ebers Papyrus, donkey, dog, gazelle, and fly dung were all celebrated for their healing properties and their ability to ward off bad spirits. While these repugnant remedies may have occasionally led to tetanus and other infections, they probably weren't entirely ineffective. Research shows that microflora found in some of these animal dungs contain antibiotic substances. So it was all worth it. That's what I'm hearing. That was just a good thing that they did. Number five, cannibal cures. That's fascinating. <laughs> Suffering from persistent headaches, muscle cramps, or stomach ulcers? Once upon a time, your local physician may have prescribed an elixir containing human flesh, blood, or bone. <sighs> okay. So-called corpse medicine was a disturbingly common practice for hundreds of years. The Romans believed that the blood of fallen gladiators would cure epilepsy, and 12th century apothecaries were known for keeping a stock of mummy powder, a macabre extract made from ground-up mummies looted from Egypt. Meanwhile, in 17th century England, King Charles II was known for enjoying draught of King's Drops, a restorative brew made from crumpled human skull and alcohol. These cannibalistic medicines were thought to have magical properties. By consuming the remains of a deceased person, the patient also ingested part of their spirit, leading to increased vitality and well-being. The type of cure prescribed usually corresponded to the type of ailment, Skull was used for migraines and human fat for muscle aches, but getting fresh stock could be a gruesome process. In some cases, in some cases, the sickly would even attend executions in the hope of getting a cheap cup of a freshly killed person's blood. I'm so sorry. This is... This is a whole lot. It's okay. We only have two more left. We're, we're almost done. We almost have done it. Number six is wandering womb. Ancient Greek doctors believed the woman's womb was a separate creature with a mind of its own. According to the writings of Plato and Hippocrates, when a woman was celibate for an extended time, her uterus, described as a living animal eager to bear children, could dislodge and glide freely about her body, causing suffocation, seizures, and hysteria. 
This curious diagnosis endured in some form into the time of the Romans and the Byzantines, well after doctors had learned that the womb was held in place by ligaments. Interesting. To prevent their wombs from going on a walkabout, ancient women were counseled to marry young and bear as many children as possible. For a womb that had already broken free, doctors prescribed therapeutic baths, infusions, and physical massages to try to force it back in position. They might even fumigate the patient's head with sulfur and pitch while simultaneously rubbing pleasant-smelling lotions between her thighs. The logic being that the womb would flee from the bad smells and move back into its rightful place. Mm, I'm learning so much. I'm so glad that you're along on this ride with me. Okay, the last one is the Babylonian skull cure. For the ancient Babylonians, most illnesses were thought to be the result of demonic forces or punishment by the gods for past misdeeds. Doctors often had more in common with priests and exorcists than modern physicians, and their cures usually involved some compet- what involved some component of magic. For example, if a patient ground their teeth, the healer might suspect that the ghost of a deceased family member was trying to contact them as they slept. According to ancient necromantic... Let's try that again. According to ancient necromantic texts, the doctor would recommend sleeping by a human skull for a week as a way of exercising the spirit. To ensure this disturbing treatment worked, the tooth grinder was also <laughs> instructed to kiss and lick the skull seven times each night. So, yep, those were our seven unusual ancient medical techniques. Um, let me know which one you think is the worst. I just, I just cannot, you know, Medicine will obviously always be an ever-changing field, and research will continue to be done about various things and treatments, but I personally am very glad that I'm not advised to eat other humans or drink mercury to cure my ailments. Um, especially with something as small as a sore throat, I'm glad that ibuprofen and cough drops exist and tea and just anything but that is, that's a, that's a big comfort to me. I hope it is to you as well. Um, let's see. I suppose that's all. That was all seven. Um, please follow me on Instagram, crocheting through medical. Nope, 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 nope. Not making that mistake again. Crocheting through history. I will get that right someday. I will. I swear. Probably. Um, I will be posting pictures of my little triceratops buddy boy. 
Um, his pattern was. Now I'm gonna start saying it. Not remember who it is. Uh, I believe her Instagram handle is the Nicole Chase. Let me. Yes, the Nicole Chase on Instagram. She makes lots of cute patterns, lots of cute little animals, and cute crochet things. Go check her out if you want some serotonin in your life. Look at that. That recording, this recording just hit five minutes and it did not stop. So I think we are set for the future. Um, follow me on Instagram. Let me know what topics you'd like to hear about. I would also take um, ideas like this for different articles I may be able to look up when I'm in a pinch. It is currently Wednesday night, so this comes out in like 12 hours. Um, and here I am recording it, having done zero research. So that is great for a busy week. And I would love more ideas similar to this. Yeah, I think that's it. Everyone have a good week. Um, see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. I got to come up with some sort of tagline. I don't know. I'll think about that this week as I research an actual medical condition to share with you next week. Okay. Goodbye.